Please stand for the reading of the gospel. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. You can be seated. Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here. And for the last two weeks, we have been preaching on the Psalms, and this is our third and final week. We're going to wrap up with Psalm 126, which we just chanted. And to help us enter into this psalm, we're going to begin with a minute of silence. So as we enter this silence, I invite you to remember a time when you experienced real joy and for any kids that are here, you can do this too. If you have journals, you can draw this in your journal. But I want you to think about any moment from your life, however big, however small, where you remember experiencing joy. And then sit in that memory, look around, notice things. You can notice the colors and the textures, the smells and the sounds, the way the light falls. So we're going to be silent for about a minute and remember a time of joy. Well, I wonder what that was like for you. I can tell you what it was like for me. I can tell you about the memory that came to my mind. This really simple one where I was riding in a beat-up old car down this rural country road somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Texas around dusk in the summer with my bare feet up on the dashboard, the windows down, the sound of cicadas rising and falling, kind of swelling in the heat the smell of rain that was evaporating off the hot asphalt, 
the smell of Texas wildflowers out the windows as we drove past. And just everywhere I looked, flat, flat Texas land and tall grass and scrubby mesquite trees. And even as I think about that memory, this ache rises up in me. Even though it makes me happy, it also makes me sad. I want to be able to hold on to it. I want to be able to step back inside it, to be on that road and in that kind of golden, dusky light. I want to live in that joy. And I suspect that whatever memory you had, whatever came to mind, produced that same kind of sadness in you. Because joy does that. It creates this ache. And I think the theologian who talks about this probably the best, probably the most, is C.S. Lewis, another good Anglican. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And he writes, All joy reminds. It's never a possession. It's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. Joy emphasizes our pilgrim status. So joy is an awakening, it's a longing, it's an about to be. And we see this in our psalm today. Psalm 126 is a psalm for pilgrims. It's part of this collection of psalms from 120 to 134 called the Psalms of Ascent. And ascent, as you probably all know, means to go up. These are the psalms that Jewish pilgrims would sing and pray when they were on their way to Jerusalem for holy days and festivals. They would go up with their bodies. They would physically walk up the hill to Jerusalem. And they would also go up with their hearts. As they made this pilgrimage, they would sing the psalms to God in this continual prayer, presenting themselves to him. So these are going psalms. They're toward something psalms. They're on the way psalms. And this particular one, Psalm 126, It also happens to be one of the psalms that's appointed for midday prayer in our Anglican prayer book. And so it's this prayer that's on the way from the rising of the sun to the setting sun. It's in the heat of the day. It refreshes us right there in the middle. It helps us keep going. It reminds us to keep longing and reaching for what is coming. And in this song, what is coming is joy. So let's look at it together. It's pretty neatly divided into past, present, and future, which again helps us remember that we're in pilgrim mode. It helps us keep moving. And verses 1 through 3 are remembering the past. He reads, When the Lord overturned the captivity of Zion, then were we like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Now, most likely that first verse is talking about this time in Israel's history when their neighbors, the nation of Babylon, came in and utterly defeated them. The Babylonians destroyed their temple, they razed their city, they left everything in ruins, and then they rounded up the Jewish people and they marched them across the desert to live as exiles in this faraway land. That Babylonian exile was this horrific, scarring event in the life of these people. But it didn't last forever. One day, God made a way for these exiles to come back home. And that return is what the psalmist is remembering. It's what the psalmist is saying, that's when we were like those who dream. 
That's when our mouths were filled with laughter. Well, earlier this week, I was at the doctor with my son just for a routine check. And a lot of you know he has type 1 diabetes, so this is just part of life for us. But as I watched them draw his blood, without him so much as flinching, I actually got a little bit weepy. And it happens sometimes because as much as I admire how tough he is and how adaptable he is, there are times where I wish more than anything that I could just take this disease from him. And so when I was in that doctor's office and in this sort of teary mom state, this wild thought crossed my mind. And for a second, I thought, what would happen if the doctor burst through the door and said, you won't believe it, the labs are clear, your son is cured, the diabetes is totally gone. And as soon as I imagined this crazy idea, I knew exactly what I would do. I would laugh. I would laugh myself silly. I would be giddy. I would probably also cry a little, but I would feel like I was living in some kind of wild dream. And that's what we do when something unexpected happens, something wonderful that we never saw coming, when something sick is healed, when something broken gets restored. We laugh, we sing, we wonder if we're dreaming. And this kind of laughing and dreaming is actually woven right into the beginning of God's people, all the way back to Abraham. Because Abraham and his wife Sarah were almost 100 years old, way, way too old to be having children, when God told them that Sarah would give birth to a child. And this child was going to be the beginning of big things for them, more descendants than they could possibly count or imagine, the beginning of this nation of people that was going to somehow bless all the nations of the world. And so what did Abraham and Sarah do when they heard this incredible, life-changing news? They laughed. They laughed so much that they named that baby Isaac, which means laughter. This is how the story of God's people begins. It begins with God intervening and restoring and blessing and his people laughing. And this story carries on and on through all generations, all the way up to Jesus. But we're going to get to that in a minute. So in verses 1 through 3, the psalmist is remembering the kind of joy that we get in living under this kind of God. A God who in an instant can overturn oppression and restore our fortunes and bring the exiles home. And then in verses 3 and 4, we see the effect of all this. It says, When they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Because when God restores his captives, everyone around notices. The neighbors are looking. And keep in mind, these neighbors already have their own gods. They already have things they sacrifice to, stuff that they already worship. And for the most part, they're also enemies of Israel. They don't want these people to succeed. But even with that, when they see these joyful exiles going home, they can't help but stop and marvel. They say, look at what God has done for his people. And the Israelites look at one another in verse 4 and kind of laugh and say, I know, right? 
He really has. And then in verse 5, we get that ache of joy that I was talking about earlier. He says, Overturn our captivity, O Lord, as when streams refresh the deserts of the south. The psalmist remembers that joy of the past, and then with this pang in his gut, longs for that joy to happen again. Joy has awakened longing for more joy, and so he prays, overturn our captivity, do it again, God. And then the rest of this psalm pivots into the future, and he starts imagining what this joy is going to be like. He prays those joy longings. He says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes on his way weeping and bearing good seed shall doubtless come again with joy and bring his sheaves with him. So the psalmist is imagining life as a time of sowing, a time of labor and toil, even through tears. And sowing was then and is now really ordinary work. It's just casting seed into the ground, trusting and hoping that God is going to send rain and sun and grow something from it. And each of us has a lifetime of sowing to do. All of us have a lifetime of ordinary work that we're entrusting to God. And it's work that doesn't stop for our tears. So if you've ever unloaded the dishwasher while you're crying, you know what I'm talking about. But a few weeks ago, we talked about how this ordinary work is the place where God meets us and where he transforms us. And sometimes while we're doing it, we weep. But sowing isn't just a picture of ordinary work. It's also this metaphor that Jesus uses over and over again to describe the work of his kingdom. In fact, in the gospel passage that we read last week, we read about this. So in that passage, Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples on mission, and he tells them this. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. And then Jesus tells them to go through every village, not just the Jewish ones, but all of them, and proclaim peace over every household, to give and receive hospitality, and to tell everyone that the kingdom of God has come near. And the result that we read about last week in the gospel was joy. It's a reading from Luke 10, 17. It says the 72 returned with joy, and then a few verses later, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus and his disciples share in this harvest joy. And then right after those verses, we get today's gospel reading, this parable that all gets sparked by the question, who is my neighbor? And in the parable, a traveler has been robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, and the religious people just stop by without helping, or walk by without helping. But then the most unlikely person stops and goes above and beyond to heal and restore this traveler, a Samaritan, someone that Jesus' listeners would have seen as an enemy and an outsider. And through this outsider, Jeep Jesus <laughs> opens wide the answer to that question, who is my neighbor? Because it's everyone. 
And in this parable too, the kingdom of God has come near. And it looks like restoring wounded people to health and making enemies into neighbors and bringing these unlikely outsiders into God's blessing. Well, if you love and trust and follow Jesus, then you are called to be a sower, to scatter the seeds of God's kingdom right into the soil of the world. And the harvest that will come from that seed is the same one that was promised to Abraham, the same one we see in the Good Samaritan, the same one in verse 4 of our psalm. The nations will see and marvel at God's goodness. People who are far from God will be brought near. People who thought they were outside the realm of God's blessing will get in. And the edges of that harvest just keep extending outward, way beyond Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jesus and the disciples, outward through us to the whole world. We are the seed scatterers. And then our promised harvest is joy. That ache that we felt at the beginning of the sermon, remembering a moment of joy, it was a longing for more, to enter into and to hold on to. It was a clue of what's coming. And again, I think nobody describes this joy longing better than C.S. Lewis. He writes, At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of mourning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. And Psalm 126 and all of the Psalms of Ascent, they remind us that someday, God willing, we shall get in. And as we pray these Psalms, we remember that we're part of this story that is not yet finished, a story as old as Abraham. We remember that we're exiles who are still longing for our home. We're pilgrims still climbing that road to the holy city. And this pilgrimage isn't only for us. It's for our neighbors too. And the God who loves to bless and surprise and restore is calling us to this mission of sowing joy. Someday we will harvest all the seeds that we have scattered all the seeds that we have watered with our own tears. And we are going to load up our arms with these golden sheaves till we can't carry any more and laugh our way into eternity with God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.